Gracious Father in heaven, tonight I know personally that the words of this book have profoundly changed my life. You have reached into my heart. You have told me that you are there. I have seen how your son gave his life for me. Then you showed me your plan as you bring in your kingdom. Father, tonight as we look at the word of God, we want to see Jesus. We want to hear his will for our lives. We want to know you, Heavenly Father. You've told us that we can. You've told us that when we know you, we will discover that you're a loving Heavenly Father. That you're just and righteous and merciful. So teach us to see you tonight. Teach us to look at our lives tonight and see where it is that you have been speaking to us over all these years. Father, I ask that in a very special way tonight, for all those who are listening to the sound of my voice, whether here in Phoenix or there out across the world by satellite television, that at this moment, everyone who's hearing my voice would sense that the angels of God have begun to walk through the auditorium. That this is a sacred moment. That this is a moment in the presence of you. That this is a moment where we're drawn to the feet of Jesus Christ and we're asking him to speak to us. Gracious Father, give me the ability tonight to think clearly, to speak clearly, and Lord, to have a moment where all of us are ushered right into your presence. Help us to push the world aside and to hear your voice. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. As we have studied the Word of God together at this seminar, we have discovered one thing beyond the shadow of a doubt tonight. It really is going to happen. Jesus really is coming again. In Daniel chapter 2, we saw the statue, the head of gold, the chest and arms of silver, the belly and thighs made of brass, the legs made of iron, the feet made part of iron and part of clay. And we saw that out of those feet came ten toes. And after that, a stone comes out of the sky, not cut out with human hands. And Jesus returns and establishes his kingdom. Then we looked at Matthew chapter 24, where Jesus said, Look at the convulsions taking place on planet Earth. Look at the changes that are taking place in the religious world. Look at the places that are taking place, changes taking place in the political world, in the natural world. These are all convulsions. They're like birth pains. These are things that signal to us, beyond the shadow of a doubt, that Jesus really is coming again. Then we looked at Revelation chapter 16, and at the end of that, we went over to Revelation 19. We saw Jesus coming again, riding on a white horse, leading the armies of heaven again and again and again. The Bible says Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. Some generation on the face of the planet will be the generation that sees him come. And the more you study Bible prophecy, the more it looks like it just might be you and I. We saw in Daniel chapter 8 and chapter 9 that the Bible predicted a 2,300 year period of time that already in the middle of the 19th century, way up in heaven, the angels have opened the books of judgment. They've already begun to read it. And the Bible teaches that we are just a heartbeat away from the second coming of Christ. 
We looked at Revelation chapter 6. We saw the white horse, the red horse, the black horse, the pale horse, the fifth seal. Then we saw the great earthquake and the dark day and the stars falling. Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. We saw in Revelation chapter 6 the dark ages would come and go. And we live in the day and age when the dark ages have come and have gone. And we sit at the end of Revelation 13 waiting for just a few more events and Jesus will come. Then we looked at Revelation chapter 14. And in Revelation chapter 14 we saw that in the last days God raises up a movement with a specific message going to all the world saying Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming and then he found out you and I are living in the very moment when that movement appears on the face of the earth and now tonight you are faced with a question the Bible teaches there is a wedding feast coming the Bible says in Revelation chapter 21 I saw new heaven the new earth for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men and he will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. The Bible speaks about a bride that is ready for Jesus Christ. The Bible speaks about a great wedding feast in heaven. And I want to ask you tonight, who is going to that wedding feast? The Bible tells a remarkable story in Matthew chapter 22 as Jesus looks down through the corridors of time and he points to the moment when he will come and establish his kingdom. It's found in the gospel according to Matthew chapter 22. Jesus tells a story about the kingdom that he will establish. The Bible says in Matthew 22 verse 2, The kingdom of heaven is like unto a certain king, which made a marriage for his son, and sent forth his servants to call them that were bidden to the wedding, and they would not come. Again he sent forth other servants, saying, Tell them, which are bidden. Behold, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen and my fatlings are killed, and all things are ready, come to the marriage. But they made light of it, went their way, one to his farm, another to his merchandise, and the remnant took his servants and entreated them spitefully and slew them. Let me ask you tonight, as the wedding invitation comes from Jesus Christ, what is the answer of your heart tonight? What is your answer? Do we make light of it? Are we too busy to respond to Jesus? Do we have other concerns that keep us occupied and the moment will come that Jesus comes and we're not ready? What is your answer to the wedding invitation that Jesus is sending out to you tonight? Tonight you are faced with a choice. And you may not have another moment to make that decision. Tonight is the night that you need to make it. Tonight is the night that you will say in your heart, I belong to Jesus. I want to follow Him. I want a life with Him. Tonight I want you, everyone that is listening to my voice, both here in Phoenix and by satellite, I want you to have your eyes open to something that is happening all around you. 
We have studied that in Revelation chapter 13, the devil worked very, very hard to establish a counterfeit movement of the last days. The wound is healed. He does everything he can to deceive people and lead them away from the truths of the Bible. He is trying his level best, the devil, to keep you from your appointment at heaven's wedding feast. It's a problem that's been around for a long time. The Bible speaks about it in the ancient church of Corinth. And as you read Paul's letter to the Corinthians, you discover something remarkable. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1. Would to God you could bear with me a little in my folly, Paul writes, and indeed bear with me. God says to the God, Paul says to the Corinthian church, For I am jealous over you with a godly jealousy. For I have espoused you to one husband. How many husbands? One. That I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. But I fear, lest by any means as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. Paul writes to this church, he says, I'm a little bit worried. You've been betrothed to one husband. You have been promised to Jesus Christ. And now there's a voice. There's somebody there who's trying to lead you away from Jesus. Who's trying to keep you busy. Who's trying to distract you. He is talking about the serpent. The very one who beguiled Eve, deceived her in the beginning, is trying to deceive you and lead you away from the wedding invitation that Jesus has been offering you night after night after night after night as you have been listening to the truths of the Bible. There is somebody who does not want you to take the invitation. There is somebody who does not want you to be present at heaven's wedding feast. Paul writes to the church, I'm worried. Tonight I'm worried too. I'm worried for those who in their hearts know what the Bible says and they're saying, I'll put it off another day. I'm worried for those who are saying, I'm so busy right now at this moment. I'm worried tonight for those who say, well, there's going to be another opportunity. The Bible says in such a day and hour as you think not, Jesus will come. And the moment to choose Jesus is tonight. The Bible speaks about it over and over and over and over again. There's a wedding coming and somebody doesn't want you to go. Paul writes to that church. He said, I've already promised you to Jesus. I am worried about what. Let me ask you a question tonight. And I know some of you are going to wonder for a little while what in the world the preacher is talking about tonight. But you'll bear with me and forgive me if that's the question you have, won't you? Yes. Three of you will forgive me. The Bible says, you know, that you have no option but to forgive me. Let me ask a question. I don't want anybody to answer this question out loud. I want you to think about this carefully. And there's a point to the question that I'm going to ask you. When somebody prepares for a wedding, who's the most anxious? Don't answer it out loud. Who suffers the most stress preparing for a wedding? Who is it? I've done a lot of thinking about this. Some people have come to me and they've said, Sean, I've got this all figured out. You know who it is that suffers the most at any wedding that you can go to? It is the bride. 
Because the bride's got an awful lot on her plate as she prepares for a wedding. Now, i got to admit it. Any prospective bride has an awful lot to think about. You know what a bride's got to do. She's got to pick out the dress. She's got to pick out the invitations. She's got to choose the colors. She's got to find something for the bridesmaids to wear that they won't hate her over for the rest of her life. They got to find all. They got to pick out a cake. They got to know how to decorate it. They got to figure out who's going to sit where at the wedding feast afterwards. Oh, a bride's got a lot to think about, and it can be very, very stressful because usually the guy doesn't care about flowers or colors or what he has. All he wants to do is show up on that day and say, "I do." It can be very, very stressful, can it, ladies? Hmm? Very, very stressful. Some people say it's the bride who suffers the most as you prepare for a wedding. But tonight, I firmly disagree with that opinion. And I'm going to prove it to you tonight. Some people say, well, Sean, if it is not the bride, who is it that suffers the most as you prepare for a wedding? If it's not the bride, maybe it's the father of the bride. Well, that makes some sense, doesn't it? Because that father of the bride knows in the back of his mind he's going to have to foot a big chunk of the bill, and there's this guy he can't stand that's going to be married to his daughter for the rest of his days. That's pretty stressful, isn't it, gentlemen? Huh? That's pretty stressful. I don't think it's the father of the bride. I just don't believe it at all. A while ago, I asked this question of another group. This is some years ago. I asked them the very same question, and a very kindly lady came to me afterwards and said, Sean, I know who it is. I know exactly who it is who suffers the most. And she said, I said, who is it? She said, it's got to be the mother of the bride. And I said, ma'am, I don't mean any disrespect by this, but I am a Christian minister, and I must always tell the truth in love. Any wedding I've been to... It's usually the mother of the bride who causes the most stress. Now, I love all the moms out there. I will be leaving by the back door tonight. All right, who is it? It's not the bride. It's not the father of the groom. It's not the mother of the bride. It's none of those people. Do you know who I think it is? In my humble opinion, it's the groom. Now, you can feel free to disagree with me tonight, but not until I preach from the Word of God. It is the groom. I know that that opinion runs completely contrary to everything ever written about weddings, but think about this with me for just a few minutes tonight. Let me educate all of the non-grooms listening tonight by satellite television. This is more than just picking out a tuxedo and showing up with your friends. I want to talk about the whole process and put it in perspective. You can't take the wedding out of context, just like you can't take any verse out of context. Amen. Think about what the guy has to suffer through. It's the guy who's got to ask the woman out on the first date. Ladies, you don't understand. <laughs> you don't understand what this is like at all. Let, let me educate. You know, I met Gene's dad before I ever. I know some of you. Where's he going tonight? I'll tell you in a minute where I'm going. I remember meeting Gene's dad before I ever met her, and 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 it was one afternoon. A friend of mine said, "Hey, you got to meet Rick." And so we went and met Rick at his workplace, and then we went over to Rick's house. And I was sitting in Rick's living room and talking to him when suddenly, over his shoulder, I see this picture of this girl on the sofa table. And all of a sudden, I lost complete interest in what Rick was saying. I could still see his lips moving. <laughs> and finally, I stopped and I said, Rick, 
Yeah? Is that your daughter? <laughs> you should have seen the panicked look on his face. <laughs> yeah, would you like to meet her? Yeah, I'd like to meet her. Poor guy never knew what he was doing, bringing me home that day. When I got Jean, she came upstairs. She was the prettiest thing I'd ever seen in all my life. I was immediately smitten. She had the most beautiful green eyes I'd ever seen in my life. Mm-hmm. Turns out a few years later, they were green contact lenses. But by that point, it was too late. Now, we've studied the law of God. You know, ladies know what it says about bearing false witness, don't you? Huh? I was smitten, but you know what happened? I was too scared to call her. Besides that, she had a boyfriend. How am I going to get rid of him? It's okay. It only took a few weeks. I worked it out. I went home. I started to talk to all of my friends about this beautiful girl that I had met. I said, this girl, I'm going to marry this girl. She's the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. And I talked about her and talked about her and talked about her. And my friends would say to me, Sean, have you called her? No. Then would you shut up? We don't ever want to hear her name again unless you have the guts to call this girl. And at one point they picked me up. They threw me in a closet with a telephone. They said, you can't come out of there until one of two things happens. You either call her and ask her to go out with you or you never mention her name again. So I sat in the closet. I called her up. She answered the phone. Hello. It was much sweeter than that. Hello. Hello. I, and I froze. I hung up. So I called again. Hello. I hung up. It's a good thing they didn't have call display then, right? I'd probably be in jail. You ladies just don't understand what this is like. And then, and then, it's not the lady who usually has to go to the girl's father to ask about the wedding, is it? I'll never forget that. I remember going over to the house, asking my future father-in-law for permission to ask Gene to marry me. And I remember standing in the kitchen and I said to him, Rick, no, actually I said, Mr. Pepper, sir, you just change everything at that point. <laughs> Mr. Pepper, sir, is there a moment that we could talk? There's something I'd like to talk to you about. The minute I said that, his face fell and he was as sober as a judge. <laughs> and I knew that he knew what I wanted to ask him and he didn't like it one bit. He said, sure, let's go to the back of the house. I thought, oh, no, he's got a lot of land back there. He's got a shovel. I'm never going to come back. He said, let's go down to the back of the house. We sat down on two sofas facing each other. And he leaned over, looked me in the eye. He said, what do you want to talk to me about? For the first time in my life, I was afraid to speak. I gritted myself. My eyes pinned shut. I said, Mr. Pepper, sir. I've been dating your daughter now for four and a half years. I think she likes me. I know I like her. I'm wondering if I'd have your permission to marry this girl. And then I waited for Hurricane Rick. Nothing happened, so I opened one eye. He was smiling. He leaned over. He batted me on the knee. He said, oh, I'd be tickled to have you for a son-in-law. He said, you look so sick when you asked to talk to me. I thought you were going to say you wanted to break it off with my daughter, and I was angry. <laughs> Ladies, you don't get it. You just don't understand what it's like to be a groom. On the way to the church, on the way to our wedding, I stopped to gas up my car. I'm wearing my rental tuxedo. 
with all the plastic flour. Do they do that down here? All the plastic flour stuck all over the car and all that stuff stuck. And, and this guy in the, I gas up my car. I went in to pay. And this guy looks at me. He looks at me in my tuxedo and he looks past me at my car outside. Then he looks back at me and he says, you're not getting married, are you? I said, yes, sir, today. He says, you don't want to get married. That's the worst mistake you'll ever make in all your life. He said, I got to work every weekend at this gas station to make my alimony payment. Don't be got married. You're going to be sorry. All the way to the church, I'm thinking, don't get married. You'll be sorry. Don't get married. You'll be sorry. Don't get. Then I found myself standing on the platform. I'm shaking like a leaf. And then the music changes. And the doors at the back of the church open. And there's the most beautiful girl I've ever seen in all my life. And I knew it was worth every minute. Let me ask you a question right now about you. In the preparations for heaven's wedding feast, who do you suppose is the most anxious tonight? We're anxious for Jesus to come, but it's not us that's the most anxious. We're the bride. Paul writes to Corinth. He says, I'm worried about you. I raised up this church. He's the father of the bride. He's not the most anxious. You know who the most anxious one is? It's the groom. It's Jesus. How can you read the Bible and not see it? How can you listen to the Word of God every night, hour after hour, and not hear it? As you look back over your life, even the last few weeks and months, can't you see how Jesus brought you here to this moment? Can't you see as you look back how He's been doing things in your life all along? I was not raised in a Seventh-day Adventist home. I wish I had been. I wish I'd known all the stuff we've been studying a long time ago. I would have loved to have known that stuff. But I did find it later in life. I grew up in a Christian home. I thank God for that. So few kids today are being born into a home where they're taught the Word of God at all. I'm thankful for the Christian home that I was raised in. Now, let me tell you an interesting story. In the home that I was raised in, we went to church every Sunday morning. Actually, we went to church twice on Sundays. Every Sunday morning. And then after church, we would come home and have Sunday dinner. And then after dinner... Some of the family would engage in what I call lay ministries. They would lay down on a couch and have a snooze. <laughs> and my brother and I would turn on the television set on Sunday afternoons. We lived way up in northern British Columbia. And we only had one and a half TV stations in the town that I lived in. Because one of them really only came in about every other day. Rabbit ears, an old black and white set, and it took forever for that set to warm up. It took forever for that. So we would turn it on hours ahead of time because at 6 o'clock on Sundays, the wonderful world of Disney would come on TV. And so we want to warm that up because you don't want Mickey Mouse to be fuzzy. You want to be able to see him. 
And we warmed it up once in a while. I even remember my brother and I crawling under a blanket because the picture hadn't warmed up yet, stuck our heads underneath, and you could see the picture better. <laughs> underneath, do you know what came on TV on Sunday afternoons just before the wonderful world of Disney where I lived? There was this guy with a Bible on a show called It Is Written. And I sat there listening to this guy. And I thought to myself, he's okay. It was Pastor George Vanderman. Some of you would remember him. He started this 50 years ago. He'd open his Bible, and, and I remember as a little boy thinking, this guy's okay. It all comes out of the Word of God. A trustworthy man. I want to ask you a, co uh, a question now. Do you think it really was a coincidence that at that moment I'm under a blanket and I'm looking at the screen and on comes it is written. Does that kind of stuff happen by accident? I don't believe it for a moment. I'll tell you how I think it happens. I think the groom was anxious. I know Jesus looked down. He saw a little boy. He said, that boy belongs in my kingdom. I'm going to do whatever it takes to get his attention. Now, not long after that, God drops another little hint into my life. I went to a little Christian school up in a small community in northern British Columbia. And all of a sudden, in the fourth grade, there's this new kid in my class. And he was a smart kid. He was smarter than the rest of us. He had skipped up through the grades, and he became a good friend of mine. And one day, we were over at my house. I forget exactly what it was we were doing in the backyard. I think throwing a little football back and forth. And as we're throwing the ball back and forth, he suddenly stops and he asks me a question. He says to me, Sean, why does your family go to church on Sunday? And I said to him, listen, everybody goes to church on Sunday and we do it because the Bible says you ought to. And he knew that I was kind of a stubborn Dutch kid with a hot temper. And he dropped the subject. I want to ask you a question. Is it an accident that that little boy shows up in my backyard at that time and asks a question like that? I don't believe it for a moment. I think Jesus was working that out. I don't know exactly what heaven looks like yet because I haven't seen it. But I kind of picture it like the angels. Every time they try to get our attention and they didn't get it that time, they go back into heaven's locker room and they come up with a new play. They say, that didn't quite work. Let's get his attention again. Let's work on him a little bit more. I think the angels of heaven move heaven and earth to get your attention for Jesus. Years later, when I'd left home, I met Jean. We've been dating for about three weeks at this point. Those beautiful green eyes. <laughs> and I came home one night. It was late. I'll tell you this much. At this point in my life, I'm not living a Christian experience, even though I was raised in a Christian home. Some people say, well, what did you do? What was your life like? Well, I never murdered anybody, but I was a sinner. And a lot of people, well, what did you do? I don't tell those stories. Do you know why? Because Jesus said it's all buried and forgotten, and I've forgotten it too. I'm not going to give the devil credit on air for what he did to me. <laughs> That's gone. It's over. But at that point in my life, I wasn't really living a Christian life at all. And as I came home one night, all of a sudden, I find this Bible sitting by my bed. And I ask myself the question, how did that Bible get out there? I knew who had given it to me. A family member had. But they weren't there at that apartment. I was living with a roommate in Victoria, British Columbia. And this Bible is sitting out by my bed. 
And I think to myself, how did that get out there? I know my roommate didn't take that Bible out. And if you'd met my roommate, you'd know that he didn't take that Bible out. So I sat down on the bed and I opened the book and I began to read. Been a while. I'd read the Bible as a boy. I learned to read basically by reading the Bible. But it had been a little while and I sat on the edge of the bed and I began to read, of all books, the book of Revelation. Wow. Beasts and vials and trumpets and a beast coming out of the sea. And, and, and this Revelation 14, these angels with this message, I read through it and it didn't make a lick of sense. I couldn't make heads or tails out of it. And yet at the same time, I couldn't put it down. Some voice said, keep on going, keep on reading. I believe angels of God were in the room at that very moment trying to get my attention again. Keep reading it. And all of a sudden I come across again Revelation chapter 13. And I start going back and forth. I didn't know the principle here, a little there, a little line upon line, precept upon precept. But I started to notice, hey, there's some things here that are the same from chapter to chapter. And I started putting the pieces together. And all of a sudden the lights went on. Not because I'm smart, because God was standing there trying to get my attention. And I realized I know what this is talking about, this beast power. I got so excited, I picked up the phone and I called Jean. We've been dating three weeks. (laughs) She was very intimately associated with Revelation chapter 13 at that point. And I kind of was too. I got so excited I phoned her. I had a phone that didn't even work. You you couldn't dial with the keypad. You had to click on the little hanging up switch. You know what I mean? Yeah, I could I could dial the number by tapping out the number on that little switch. I got the I was so excited I got the number wrong at least six times. I finally got through to her, that beautiful hello, that beautiful voice. I said, Guess what? She said, What? Come on, take a guess. Guess what it is? She said, Guess what what is? I said, the beast. She said, the what? I said, the beast. She said, what's the beast? I said, the beast in the book of Revelation. Come on, take a stab at it. Come on. She didn't know, so I told her. She told me after that she considered dropping me that night. That's why we don't study it now to the 15th night. (laughs) Do you know what happened to us? We realized... Coming from different backgrounds, that if we were going to be together, we had to be reconciled on what we believed about God. We had to work out our religious differences. The Bible's clear we're not to be unequally yoked. We started to study. We started to visit churches. We started to discuss. We started to argue. We started to debate a lot of things. But most importantly, we started to study the Word of God and started looking for a church. Never did find a satisfactory compromise, even though we did find a church to belong to. We knew in our hearts we needed to come to Jesus Christ. Now, not long after that, I was in a used bookstore. That's still where you'll find me today if I have a moment off. I can't turn up a book. You ask my wife, I've got thousands of them in the garage, all of them with a bookmark halfway through because I never finish any of them. And I'm in this bookstore, and I'm walking up and down the aisles, and all of a sudden I see it. There are these boxes of books for sale. Somebody just dropped off a whole bunch, and they put them on a table in the middle of the room, and it said on there, ten bucks a box. 
Now, at this point, you've got to understand, I'm of Dutch descent. I don't even care what's in the box. I mean, ten bucks for a whole box of books. <laughs> so I kind of rifled through one, and I saw, hey, this is politics and history and economics and all the stuff I love. So I grabbed the box. I went to the counter. I put ten bucks. I said, really, ten bucks? I said, yeah, ten bucks. And so I paid ten bucks. I took the box with me, and I threw it in the back of my truck, and I went home. Actually, I went to another appointment, and then I went home that evening. And I take the book, a box of books out of the truck. I bring it inside the house. I open it up. And there on top is this book. And it's the history of Sabbath-keeping Christians throughout all the ages. How did that book get in that box? I'll tell you how that book got in that box. I was standing in the used bookstore and the angels of God were running up and down the aisles. Hurry up. He's in aisle C. Get that book in the box. Oh, you smile, but wait till you meet my angels. That's what it takes to get my attention. I read that book all night long. I took it to the minister in my church. I said, I got to ask you a question. What's the question? I said, this book says that Christians didn't keep Sunday for a long time after Jesus. And the Sabbath is what the early Christian church kept. Is that true? Looked me in the eye and he said, yeah, that's true. He said, it just doesn't matter. Well, it mattered to me. I thought if the Bible teaches something, that's what I want. I knew that at that point in my life. I'd started to study it. I knew that this book tells the truth. A coincidence that that book ends up in my box? Do you really believe that? Not at all. You know what? At that time, doing what I'm doing now was the furthest thing away from my mind. You know what I wanted to do with my life? I wanted to run for public office. That's all I ever wanted out of life. That was my world ambition, to run for public office. I wanted to be the premier of British Columbia. And if I could not be the premier of British Columbia, I wanted to be the minister of finance. Whatever it took to ride in a big car, have a big office, and get on TV once in a while. (laughs) That's all I wanted out of my life. And yet there is this still small voice in my heart that wouldn't let it happen. I heard this voice. I don't know how to describe it to you. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. It's not an audible voice, but this this little voice that keeps talking to you and it says, you're not going to do that. I said to myself, I am too going to do that. I got plans for my life. Voice said, you're not going to do that. You're going to preach. I said, preach? (laughs) I thought about that for a long time, so I decided to test the waters. I called Gene one day. I said, hey, Gene, you know what? I don't think I'm ever going to run for public office. I'm going to be a minister. And she said, I knew that since the day I met you. How do you women know us so well before we even figure ourselves out? I don't understand women. I didn't even have sisters. I live in a house full of girls now. I don't get any of them. She knew it. Then I thought to myself, oh, if I'm going to be a minister, I better find a church i got to find a church that teaches what I've been reading here in the Bible, all this stuff. Now, I'm not going to name the church, but I was in a church that had begun to treat the Word of God like a fairy tale. I remember being in a Bible class there, and, and I was sitting there eagerly thinking, if I'm going to be a minister one day, I should listen to the minister and learn from him. And I remember a woman in the class raising her hand saying, Pastor, Pastor, I've been reading this story in the Bible about Adam and Eve. 
And I just don't believe this stuff about Adam and Eve in the garden. I have trouble swallowing it. I thought, oh, good question. How's he going to answer that question? And I turned and I listened. And as he opened his mouth, my heart sank through the floor. He said, well, we don't believe that stuff in Genesis anymore. That's just a fairy tale. We've grown past that as a society. Well, I thought, that's not right. If you get rid of Genesis, you've got to get rid of the whole book. Where are you going to draw the line? That's the word of God. You can't remove part of it. Now I had a problem. Because I believe that the Bible was the word of God. He dismissed the whole book of Genesis as a myth in one sentence. And I'd been reading the Bible. And I knew this couldn't possibly be the people that they were talking about in Revelation chapter 14. Who is it? You see, folks, if a church is not teaching the truth, then it's not the church mentioned in the Bible. 1 Timothy 3.15 says that the church is the pillar and the ground of the truth. So I remember going and sitting on my back porch one night, looking up at the stars, and I challenged God. I said, all right, Lord, I'll do it. I'll become a preacher, but then you better show me where to go. I want to know where the people are that believe what I've been reading here. Where is this last day people that I'm reading about in the book of Revelation? You show me and then I'll be a preacher. And I went to bed that night very smug that I'd be planning a campaign for public office in a few months. (laughs) The only problem is that within a few hours, a day or two, my telephone rang. It was my brother, Kevin. Kevin says, hey, you know what? I just got this brochure in the mail. We should go to this thing. I said, what thing is that? He said... It's a prophecy seminar. I know you like prophecy. I've been telling them all about the beast since I read about it. (laughs) He said, you like prophecy? We should go to this thing. I said, I don't know. Who is it? He said, it is written. All of a sudden, I'm under this blanket in northern British Columbia looking at a fuzzy black and white TV in my memory. And I see Pastor George Vanneman standing there. I think, hey, that's okay. But then I thought for a little longer. And I said, it is written. I think that guy is a Seventh-day Adventist, Kevin, and those are a bunch of weirdos, those Seventh-day Adventists. (laughs) We can't go to something like that. They're a bunch of weirdos. You should see what those people eat. (laughs) Now, you Seventh-day, I've seen some of the stuff you eat, man. I've seen it. I've seen it come out of a can. This vegetarian stuff looked like dog food to me. Some of you haven't seen the dog food yet. You will. <laughs> My sincere apologies tonight to the makers of dog food. I just <laughs> I love the dog food now. It's delicious. Huh? My brother said, "Why don't we go for fun? You could always heckle the preacher." I said, "That sounds like fun." <laughs> I went, and I sat just about where some of you are sitting, and I couldn't believe my ears. Every night, everything out of the Word of God, and it finally all made sense, and all the pieces are finally coming together. I got so excited after the first night, Jean hadn't come with me. I phoned her up and said, you've got to come to this. We studied exactly what you've been studying. 
And a few weeks later, there was no question about it. I knew where I belonged. There's a movement in the Bible. God calling people, do you think you came here by accident? Look over your life. Think about what's happened in the last few years. Think about what's happened in the last few months. Think about what's happened in the last few weeks and ask yourself, how did you end up sitting here? Wherever you are tonight, how did you end up sitting here? Years went by, and now I'm traveling and preaching the Bible. And a story comes to me in the mail saying, you may not be aware of this. There's a man who used to live in a lumber camp, working in the sawmill. And one night he has a dream. And in the dream he sees a bright light outside the window and he hears voices outside and he knows he's dreaming that the second coming has arrived. And he wakes up. The next night it happens again and he can't shake it. And he realizes he's supposed to do something about this. People aren't ready for Jesus to come. So he writes a letter to somebody else. He said, you know, I believe that I'm supposed to be preaching the Word of God. And they took that man and they moved him to a little town up in northern British Columbia. And his son is the boy in my backyard who asked me, why do you go to church on Sunday? That man had that dream. He went and he pastored a little tiny church. And because he followed God, you're sitting here tonight. What's going to happen when you follow God? What's the decision that God is asking you to make? I think it's very clear tonight. All of heaven has been moving toward this one moment. Jesus has known your name since you were born. And tonight you have a decision that you must make. This is a quiet, sacred moment. And tonight we're going to pray. I'm going to ask that every head would be bowed. I'm going to ask that every eye is closed. You who are watching by satellite television, I want you to pray with me. Close your head. Uh, close your eyes. Bow your head. <laughs> Father in heaven, tonight we know in our hearts that Jesus has been speaking to us. There are people listening to my voice tonight, Heavenly Father, that night after night have been studying the Word of God and they can see it clearly and they know that you're calling them. Tonight there are people listening to my voice everywhere around the world and right here in Phoenix who are preparing for baptism. Are you preparing for baptism in your heart? Are you looking for that moment? I'm going to ask you to raise your hand wherever you are around the world tonight and here in Phoenix. Who are you that is being baptized? Raise that hand nice and high. What's the decision that you need to make tonight? Tonight there are those 
who have been baptized. They've walked through the waters like Jesus did in the waters of immersion. They've followed Christ with their lives. But now they've seen deep new truth. And tonight they're saying, I am going to be a part of God's final movement. Have you been listening to this seminar night after night? You've been hearing the voice of God and tonight you're saying, I will be a part of God's last day commandment keeping people, preparing the world for Jesus to come. Is that your decision tonight? You raise your hands wherever you are. Father, look at these hands. These are people saying, I will join these commandment keeping people of God. There are some of you who have been baptized before, but you need to make a decision tonight. You've wandered away from God and you want to come home. Have you been baptized before? You need to be baptized again. Maybe you want to commit to new truths. You've seen so much more of Jesus. Father in heaven, people around the world tonight are deciding for Jesus. They're saying we're part of God's last day movement. We're moving forward with Christ and we long for the day that he comes again. Around the world tonight, you've seen those who have signed their cards. I pray, Father, that you would bless them. That we would all be gathered together in the presence of Jesus on the Sea of Crystal, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen.